Welcome everybody to the Founders on Fire podcast from the Tech Trailblazers. My name is Rose Ross and I'm the Chief Trailblazer and Founder of the Tech Trailblazers. And I'm delighted to have with us today um, the CEO and Founder of Bulwix, Gerald uh, Banner, who um, were our AI Trailblazers this year. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Hello, and it's my pleasure to be here. Delighted. Wonderful. Well, you're joining us from um, San Francisco, from California. Where are you in California? Yeah, we are in the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, let's sort of kick off and, and, and look a little bit. Now, you guys sort of are in the, although you're on the artificial intelligence, that's where you sort of came out with your trailblazing crown. You're also in the cybersecurity area, which obviously is a very hot space at the moment with a lot of the, the increases in threats and attacks at the moment. So could you tell us a little bit about what you actually do and about what the company is able to help organizations with, with dealing with? So Balbix is a startup which looks at the cybersecurity visibility and risk management space. Uh -huh. so what that means is that if you look at a typical organization, uh, the number of different ways in which they can get compromised is practically infinite. As we like to call it, the enterprise attack surface is exploding. And what we believe is that analyzing your overall cybersecurity posture and then trying to improve it is no longer something that can be done using traditional methods. Right. What Baltix does is we have technology that uses uh, some very specialized algorithms to first enable our customers to visualize their attack surface at a level which is 100x, 100 times better than anything else. Mm -hmm. And then use this information to transform their cybersecurity posture, thereby decreasing their breach risk significantly and improving the efficiency. Right. It's kind of like going from a manual, mostly manual, old-style, non-data-driven approach to cybersecurity and then going towards an automated AI-based, data-driven approach to cybersecurity. Got you. And so the AI element is around that automation of, of that capability. The AI element is around both the visibility piece of it mm -hmm. and also the automation piece. So, so let me let me dive in just a little bit with one example. Yep, absolutely. Uh, if you if you look at by analogy, if you try to say, okay, what is the weather going to be tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Right. So by analogy, uh, if you if you want to get an answer to that, which all of us do get an answer to it every day, right? I mean, from the weather service in our countries. A lot of data is collected from uh, weather radars and satellite imagery and thermometers and barometers across all the world. All that information is put into a finite element analysis model of the atmosphere, and then certain algorithms are run, and then out you get, you know, there'll be this temperature at this location at this time of tomorrow, and this will be the wind speed, and this is the likelihood of a tornado or a hurricane or what you have. Yeah. In, in, the, in the world of cybersecurity, we need to do something very similar. What happens today is nothing even close to this. A lot of the data 
is not even gathered. A lot of the relevant data that could predict an impending cyber attack or could be very indicative of a vulnerability in our defenses, that data is not simply gathered because there's too much of it. And even if it is gathered, it is not recorded into, it's not input into the model, which might decide what needs to be done to uh, manage risk better. So Balbix does all of that. So the first thing we do is we allow for the gathering of this vast amount of data. Then we have algorithms that allow you to analyze this data. And then finally, we have algorithms that allow you to visualize this data and then take action based on that. Right, right. So you're seeing some incredible um, increases in companies' abilities to protect themselves then from these types of things. Fantastic. Now, tell me, because I, I looked a little bit, I had a little snoop on LinkedIn earlier, and I see that this is not the first time that you've had um, a very successful uh, startup, is it? Because you, you were the CEO and founder of Bromium, which was acquired by HP a number of years ago. Yeah, so this is my you know third startup and the fourth company that I've been involved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that takes it, you know, to end... Uh, I've also been part of a turnaround, which is kind of like an ugly startup, if you were to look at all the issues of startups and then some unique issues of their own. Mm-hmm. So yes, this is not this is not my first one. Um, at the same time, what I've learned is, right, there is this problem of cybersecurity, and my last two startups have been about cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. I think the amount of innovation that is needed to get ahead of this problem yeah. is just astounding. There are so many areas where we kind of know directionally where we have to go. We know we are very aware of the gaps between what is needed and what is available. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, it, is, it is just quite an opportunity, if you will. And that's the reason why I started this, you know, this last company, Malbex, that we're talking about today. Right, cool. Well, that kind of leads us very nicely into the the question that I wanted to ask you. Um, and and obviously, this can be for where you are right now, or you know, previous startups. You know, both the beautiful and the ugly one. Oh no, no, we won't do the start again. Uh, but the key moments in your journey. What what have you found particularly challenging as a CEO of a startup as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So from my perspective, there are really two challenges, uh, two issues that come across. One is uh, when you when you build a team and conceive the initial architecture, mm-hmm. that is that is an evolutionary moment. It's it doesn't happen all at once, but mm-hmm. as some there are some key decisions that are made, uh, which are very very specific to uh, the problem on hand that a startup is trying to solve. Yeah, and if you make the decisions one way or the other, that can have a huge impact later on. So one of the hindsights that you have from done this, uh, having done this a few times is I've also made my more than my fair share of mistakes. And from every mistake, an architectural mistake in early days, uh, or an architectural non-mistake, as I call it, something that we got right, you can, you know, years down the line, you can see how that uh, impacted uh, the, the future of the company. Mm. Uh, so that's that's one area where uh, you know you don't it it doesn't feel like anything because when you're going through it it just feels like another day when you're making those decisions 
Mm. But those are some of the most important decisions you will be making. People who you hire and are the architecture that you build for your for your product and for your company. Oh, it's think, like laying the foundations. Absolutely. And you said it in better words, right? The foundation has to be strong. Yeah. If the foundation is strong, then you will move fast and you will grow, go places. If the foundation is weak, so there's nothing exciting about it. You just have to do it the right way. You have to do it with discipline and you have to remember that if you, if you take shortcuts in this process, you're going to come back and be in a world of hurt much later. So the second area uh, is when you get to scalability. And initially, it feels like hell. This is when you are good for supporting five customers and suddenly you see demand uh, from a large customer who is 20 times the size of all your customers put together. Mm -hmm. And you have to re-architect, you have to scale your architecture, you have to solve bugs in your scalability uh, pretty much overnight. Otherwise, you have a disappointed customer. Yeah. So every one of my startups, and this one in particular, has gone through this um, uh, this point where uh, you're not a, as I call it, you're not a startup anymore. You're kind of like in this growth phase where you suddenly have these serious big customers that have scalability requirements that are truly world class, and we gotta execute. And that can lead to long hours. Sometimes going for you know 24, 48 hours without sleeping, an entire group of 20, 25, 30 people work for a month uh, at, at it, and at the uh, at the end of it, you emerge with something truly beautiful, and that is you know you have, in in that sense, you have achieved your dream. Yeah. So you so that scale up phase from sort of startup to scale up where you you have to step into sort of a bigger a bigger set of shoes effectively but you know that's hard isn't it because obviously as a startup you're already putting in long hours traditionally you know it's not like everybody's you know clocking in at one minute to nine and clocking off at one minute past five in the afternoon people do put an awful lot of effort in and a lot of passion and a lot of energy just to even get it off the ground and create those early foundations. So, so you know, third time around for a startup rather than a start again. Um, what are you particularly proud of? What what key moments would you say? You know, that was a good job. I'm really proud of that. Yeah, for me, I mean, this is again. There's lots of key moments, but for me personally. The most important moments are around when a customer comes to us, uh, to the company, and says, thank you, you, you did something that was truly valuable to us in this specific way. So I, I can't give you an example by naming the customer, but I'll try to do my best otherwise, right? We had a customer that came to us and said, because of that technology because of your technology, which we deployed, we were able to save $55 million. Wow. And uh, by finding software that nobody was using, and we were able to not pay maintenance on that software, obsolete software, so to speak. 
Hmm. And for them, $55 million is, 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 a, is a significant amount of money for anybody. But uh, even for them, this is a large uh, carrier, in the uh, one of the largest carriers in the world. Uh, even for them, $55 million is a large amount of money. And the fact that they can attribute it to one of the products and one of the features of our product, and then we can take it and that becomes, hey, that becomes a reason why we exist, right? Why the startup should exist is to solve problems for customers. And when something becomes as clear as that, uh, those are some of the best moments. That they're the, the moments that give uh, me energy and I'm, I'm sure the rest of my team as well. Lot of energy to now take it, the company to the next height, next level of heights. Well, interesting that you should use that particular example because one of the things that we've been sort of seeing is obviously under the current crisis that, you know, we've got CISOs that we work very closely with and they're absolutely overriding, um, you know, apart from keeping the lights on, obviously, because that's what everybody's trying to do at the moment, is going to be cost cutting and, you know, making the most of what they've got. So if you, as a startup to kind of approach these types of people and say, well, look, we know that you're going to find things and ultimately this is going to save you money. It's not the easiest sell, but it's very nice to be able to say it that, you know, examples as the one you've just given that, well, you know, $55 million is, you know, it's a very nice chunk of change to find back in your, your coffers, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think um, that is kind of like... Um... What I, I think is the most valuable part of it, which is in any situation, whether it be it yesterday, today, or tomorrow, if a startup can articulate exactly how they can help the customers, and in this particular case, with saving money, uh, if you can't articulate that, then you really should not be in the business. If you can articulate it, uh, then then you're in a good place. Yeah, absolutely. So, obviously, you've uh, received recognition from ourselves and from our judges around you know what they view you as being a trailblazer which is great so congratulations on that so that firm foundation is uh, clearly paying off um what words of encouragement would you give to a company who's deciding on whether they should go in for an award like the tech trailblazers well, first of all, thank you for the recognition. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. And in terms of you know company building, one of the things that um, any founder, any CEO knows or should know is, you know, you're also building your brand, and you're building your brand around some notion of excellence. And it's one thing to say that you're excellent; it's a quite a completely different thing to say that. I mean, other people say they're excellent. So I think what my my advice would be to anybody building a company, think about how you're going to do that. And it will come down to what, what award do you really care about? Which ones would you associate with your brand or what would you like to? And not one answer. There's no one answer that fits everybody. But for us, uh, you know, in generally, the, the whole idea of tech trailblazer, we are a tech company, we are trailblazing. And for us, that's a very, very apt award in just in how not just what it what how the selection process is but what the award stands for and that's why uh we kind of like uh, that's what if you if, if 
you think of yourself as a tech trailblazer, then look for the kind of awards that make sense along with it and take them seriously because your customers are looking for, your prospective customers are looking for you to have that kind of validation. So it's key. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. And um, for you personally, um, I'm sure you picked up awards in, in other startups that you're involved with. And um, I know that you've also achieved other accolades um, where you are at the moment. So are there any tips that you'd give um, to others who are entering awards like ours? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you've got to do is you think of your uh, strategy around, you know, why are you different your your overall market strategy is based on a series of differentiations. And then the question is, how can you articulate that differentiation in a way which is relevant and meaningful to someone who may not be an expert in your area in the fewest amount of words, maybe an exhibit, maybe a picture, maybe an infographic, uh, all of that stuff grows. And, and we have used all of those things uh, to, to showcase what is it that makes us special? Mm. And that would be what my advice would be. Yeah, I did actually have a look and I liked, you have lots of eBooks on the website. So I included something about, um, what was it? Gosh, it really sort of struck me. And it was something like being, being an adult. And I think it was about being, you know, all the responsibility of being in cybersecurity. So I think what you've done is, um, given a lot of that in, in the type of assets that you make available for people, which I think is really good. So that clearly has come across to the judges as well, that ability to uh, tell the story. So, yeah, and, you know, we're, we're in a difficult time at the moment. You know, nobody can deny that. Our standard question, which was put together uh, well before the current crisis, was um, do you have any advice in general for startup companies trying to survive in the current economic climate? And obviously, I know the VC community, Sequoia, put out their advice to startups in this black swan situation. But you, you know, you've you've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and obviously, no one has faced anything quite like this before. But there have been challenges, and very, very big challenges. What advice would you give to people at the moment, apart from obviously staying safe? Well, that's a great question, and I, I think the next generation of leaders, both organizations as well as companies, are going to emerge from this crisis. So even though today the crisis looks like gloom and doom, it is very important that you don't forget that. But the next generation of leaders, leading companies, are going to get stronger. They're already taking steps to get stronger uh, that you know, maybe you can mimic too. So what's going to happen, right? Um, this crisis will go for X amount of days, months, years, uh, probably looks like at least a few more months right now, 12 to 18 months. At mm -hmm. the end of it, certain companies will cease to exist mm -hmm. and certain companies will come out with a fantastic trajectory. They will be stronger, right? So why would companies cease to exist? Because they make a series of decisions right now, either in the world of startups, it's uh, oftentimes it's about running out of cash. Um, it's uh, oftentimes running out of, um, you know, becoming irrelevant mm. because the world changes. And and then if you look at the flip side of the other side, um, the world in which we emerge from is going to be different. And 
many business models will be upset. Perhaps your startup is in a business model which will be disrupted or even completely upset. So what my advice would be, and you know, I'm a, a student of this, not by no means am I, I, I know all the answers. I kind of wake up every day and say, what can I learn from other people who've gone through these successfully before? And uh, yes, I have had my fair successes too. But so my advice would be that think about the world that we will emerge into. Think about what that world would look like. Think about what your role, your company, you would ideally want to be playing in that world. And then work backwards from that and make sure of two things. A, you are uh, you are making the right investments uh, to transform your company or to incrementally change your company, whatever might be necessary, so that you can arrive in that imagined world that you were thinking about. And second thing is make sure you have enough cash for that. Right? It's, it's a lot easier to do. It's possible to do the same thing with fewer people. Uh, if, not, if that's the only way out. And if you have the luxury of a lot of cash, uh, then even then make sure that you're going to make the right investment. So that really is my advice. Uh, there are In this process, there are going to be lots of decisions to be made, lots of challenges to be overcome um, that are very specific to an organization. But if you have an idea of what's at the end or what you would like to be at the end, that can be a very good guiding path. Wow. Well, that's some very um, sage-like advice there, I think. And is there anything else that you'd like to share? You know, this is an opportunity to talk about what you've been doing um, and what you've discovered along the way. Is there anything else that you'd like to share around that? Yeah, one of the things that we did not talk about is AI, right? I mean, that's a, that's the category that we are in and um, that we are spending a lot of time in. And, uh, you know, the one thing that I, I would say about uh, AI is that if you imagine the world uh, post this COVID-19 crisis, um, mm -hmm. I think this is uh, the way we imagine it. And this, this transformation has been happening slowly where, uh, you know, organizations have been thinking about AI and automation and how AI and automation can solve certain problems and make some efficiencies happen um, continuously over the last five years. But I think at the end of this, post-COVID-19 um, crisis, what will happen, or what is extremely likely to happen, is that a lot of these transitions that people have been doing very, very slowly will be forced upon them. Um, there is the, 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 we now are dealing with a workforce which is um, very, very much more mobile than ever before. Everybody is distributed, working from home. Uh, what that also means is that a lot of the companies that could not believe, that could not think that they could work efficiently from home are now going to be pleasantly surprised and say, oh, now everybody can work from home. I can hire uh, more distributed people, uh, workforces. I can, um, I can get you know, a lot of things accomplished that I didn't believe it would do. So the problem of cybersecurity in general is actually going to get much worse because now you can't even go behind your uh, traditional things any much more than, much less than you could. And that's where the power of AI will start kicking in. How do you see uh, when your workforce, how do you see basic elements of your cybersecurity when your workforce is that distributed? Mm. Yeah. And then in this AI business, uh, we, we, we kind of like are at the very early days of truly exploring how human knowledge can be replicated in machines and then scaled up. 
for our better good. So AI is the ultimate tool. And so what comes in is what, what advances uh, can be built over the next few weeks and months uh, in or months in AI. And how can that help deliver this world, post-COVID world, better than it would otherwise be? Hmm. No, that's that sounds um that sounds like that's going to be very uh very, very timely to be talking about that as well. That's a good thing to add into the mix. Well, I think we're we've just about come to the end of uh, this Flanders on Fire podcast. Um I'd very much like to thank you, Gareth, for joining us for this and wish you and the, the team at Balbix continued success in the face of you know a lot of challenges that we're all facing at the moment so thank you very much for your time and thank you rose uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you night time and do keep us posted so thank you everybody that was um the founders on fire podcast with gareth banger from albix our ai trailblazers thank you